everyone, welcome to episode 5 of USC's Rhythm in News podcast at Daily Trojan, where we break down everything in pop culture and entertainment. I'm your host, Shrika Romani, and with me is my co-host, Anmol Bajpai. Hey guys, happy week 12. This week, we have sophomores Colin and Charlie, founders and co-presidents of the USC Gaming Development Club, Open Alpha. And we're going to discuss our big picture of this week, which is the fall of Cyberpunk 2077 and how it cracked open the entire video game industry. All right, now it's time for our feature artist this week. We're going to bring on some talented USC students who are creating their own art and entertainment. We'll talk about their personal projects and what's next for them. This week, we don't have just one, but we have two guests. Colin Spiridonov and Charlie Fearborn are Trojan sophomores who are founders and co-presidents of Open Alpha. It's a student organization that is designing new video games every semester. Hey, guys. Hey, how's it going? Hello, hello. Thanks for coming on, guys. You guys are amazing. Tell us a little bit about yourselves and how Open Alpha came together. Just take us through your entire journey. Um, yeah, th- thank you so much for having us. Um, Open Alpha started last year, um, second semester. So Colin and I were both freshmen. Um, For those of you who don't know, USC is the best game school in the country, in the in the world, in the universe, arguably. We've taken first place, I think, um, on the Princeton Review for like a number of years straight. Um, And when Colin and I were looking to get involved, I think we were both surprised that a a club like Open Alpha didn't already exist at USC. Yeah, our um, our motivations, like as freshmen, we wanted to. We wanted to just jump in and like start making a game uh, right off the bat. We didn't really want to wait around uh, for like two or so years to figure out the tools and then uh, build out a game slowly. Um, we really just wanted to jump in uh, really quickly and just learn by doing. Uh, and so that's kind of how Open Alpha has evolved. Uh, it's basically the club that Charlie and I wanted to have existed when we were freshmen. <laughs> the thing that we wish we could have joined. Um, yeah, so we have some more experienced game developers um, showing the ropes to new newer developers who just want to get involved in game development, whether or not they're in the game's major or in the game's program. Um, we actually have students from all across the school. Um, our lead designer, I think our first semester was a, a math major, um, and we've had students from the School of Cinematic Arts and Narrative Studies and Drone Scythe, um, and yeah, a whole bunch of engineering students um, who love games and want to get in on the action on creating them. Super fun. I think it, what you guys mentioned about creating something that you wish was already there is everything uh, that a creator really wants to do all the time, whether it's making a club like you guys did or making a piece of art. Um, I know this is important, so I'm going to ask you, what's the reasoning behind the name Open Alpha? Yeah, sure. Um, Open Alpha is actually a stage of testing, of development. Um, alpha is in, you know, before beta. Uh, so Alpha is a stage of uh, development in a game uh, where I think there are certain you know restrictions on what is in the game. I think it's uh, feature complete and footprint complete, uh, or maybe I'm getting that wrong. Uh, and then open as in op- open for testing. Uh, so uh, an open alpha would mean that uh, the game is open to play for all for all people, um, but it is still in an earlier stage of development and not you know not theoretically built out uh, fully and not ready for release. Yeah, and. And for some more context on that, I think um, like Minecraft had their open alpha around 2009 um, and then fully released like a year and a half later. So it's a stage of the game where like 
the game is playable and it has gameplay um and but it's open to anyone it's still buggy i think at the time minecraft like items didn't drop from blocks that you broke menu screen was like temporary and uh there were all sorts of awesome glitches where you could like duplicate items and chests and stuff um so that's kind of the stage that we try to bring a game to each semester interesting Okay, so take us a little bit through like the daily things that happen within the club. How big is it? What exactly do you need to be a part of the cohort? What exactly, what, what, what kinds of people do you accept into the club? What kinds of people do you have? <laughs> Thank you so much for asking. Yeah. Um, so we're a very beginners centric club. Um, we actually don't look for prior experience or um, like prior games that you've made or worked on or anything like that we're really looking for the people who we think are really passionate about games are really passionate about um creating with others and collaborating and bring their own personality i think open alpha is really unique because we're so interdisciplinary right across all the different schools um and with people of all sorts of different interests um and that's yeah what we're looking for in in our applicants and what makes our group so special i think yeah and i think when we started the club uh charlie can uh, either agree or disagree with me i think we underestimated the demand for such a club um in the beginning uh we first interviewed people for board so to help us uh to help us start the club before we actually uh, interviewed and brought on our first cohort of people and uh we were i think blown away by um, the demand for such a club, how many people wanted to be part of such a thing. And all of these people are like incredibly talented. Um, and it's even more heartbreaking that these people were our fellow students in our classes. Uh, and it was, it was definitely hard at that time. Um, but yeah, every semester when we bring people on, uh, we have a big emphasis on community. So our first couple of meetings are getting to know each other uh, and making sure that everyone is comfortable um, making a game together. Um, it was definitely, uh, we are, we are, I guess, known for, uh, for our love of bonding games. <laughs> We've played lots of uh, those games. Ooh, can I tell a story? Yeah. So meeting zero, we call our first meeting with, uh, the bonding games get to know you meeting zero before we start like the production meetings. Um, and at our first meeting zero, we decided that it would be a good idea to have a scavenger hunt around campus as many clubs do, right. To bond people, right. Split into teams. Um, and go around, find certain landmarks on campus, especially for the freshmen who like don't really know that much in the upperclassmen. It's like a great bonding experience that a lot of clubs do. But we thought we're going to be cooler than that because we're a new games club and we love games. We're going to mod the game and we're going to add in laser tag. So I brought uh, seven laser tag guns from home, gave one to each team. Um, and uh, on top of the scavenger hunt, there was that like side goal of like shooting the other teams. If you die, you had to all laid down and then like respawn over 20 seconds. There's a whole thing. But um, unfortunately, DPS got reports that there were students on campus with guns. So our first experience as club leaders was like having to big backpedal, cancel our bond, like kind of <laughs> call up each group because we had a board member with each team to, if we had to communicate and go like, oh yeah, we cannot have these out. People are <laughs> kind of scared um, and had to like, yeah, calm down a DPS officer who's like, yeah, this is unfortunately like, we know it's just a game. We, we're glad we checked in with you and we know they're just like toys. Um, but yeah, you got to put those away. So it, that was sounds like a, sounds like a PR nightmare, club. but, <laughs> but 
but that's that's really fun. I wanted to ask you, speaking of games and even in real life, um, what are the games and some games that um have inspired you to make this club and to develop games or continue to inspire you? I'm a gamer, so I bring on all your indie games. <laughs> <laughs> Heck yeah. Um, so I, I feel like I am continually inspired by newer games as they come out, um, especially in the indie sphere. I don't know if you've heard of Firewatch, um, Night in the Woods, A Short Hike, um, which I think fall closer to the sphere of what Open Alpha makes um, with like a pretty small development team and kind of built on passion. There's a sort of like attention to detail in those games that you can't pay for, right, as like a triple a company which not bashing on triple a games triple a games are amazing um but i think it's those small kind of tailored experiences um that continually inspire me to make games and think about games and think about life right games i think are the one of the most effective and emerging art forms of the 21st century yeah definitely like like those games allow you to have a bit of like intimacy and um I definitely know what you mean about those like small details and it's like a very niche experience that you can have like nowhere else. Yeah. I remember probably my first, uh, like I guess venture into the indie sphere was Hyperlight Drifter. Um, I love that game so much. Uh, it's so beautiful and like, I feel like artistically cohesive or aesthetically cohesive um, in a way that is uh, really only possible with like a smaller team. Um, and yeah, as Charlie was saying, AAA studios can do like amazing things and they're amazing AAA games that I love. Um, but with indie studios and like smaller development teams, um, it's definitely more conducive to having a game with, a, uh, I guess, a cohesive message or like a, and those are the kind of games we try to make. Uh, we spend a lot of time in the beginning thinking about um, our aesthetic goals and kind of what we want for the player, um, thinking about the game design philosophies that USC has taught us and how we can apply that to our games. Yeah, and speaking of your favorite games, I want to say that I, I played your games, Open Alpha Games, Wishy Washy and Spooky Speak Easy. They're both on Steam. If anyone wants to go download them, they're really fun and creative. I got to play both. I have to say, uh, they really impressed me. And I, and I especially, um, I think Spooky Speak Easy was your second game because I could tell there was a... It, it was a step forward in terms of storytelling and world building, especially. And I wanted to ask, is that the direction, creative direction the club's heading towards in terms of your next projects? Wow. First off, thank you so much. We are so flattered that you played our game. It means so much to us. Um, we uh, welcome any and all feedback always. Um, and yes, uh, thank you for cluing in our third game. We're working on our third game this semester um, and hoping to release it to open alpha um, on May 1st, which is uh, the Saturday before finals or study week, I think. Um, and this is absolutely weirdly taking like a total turn towards world building. I don't know if Colin wants to elaborate on that. Yeah, uh, we've had people in the club um, that are interested in narrative like for quite a while. Um, and I think this game is where we've kind of developed our narrative skills with Spooky Speakeasy and realized what kind of stories we really want to tell. Um, so yeah, I don't want to spoil the game, but I'm really excited. I think it does take inspiration from Spooky Speakeasy and kind of that world building and uh, narrative storytelling. Um, but I can't say that that's 
where we'll stay in the future. I think it, it, it all, the kinds of games that we make really like literally just depends on the, uh, the kind of people uh, that end up in our cohorts. Um, so it's really just what they want to make. And if we end up, I don't know, may maybe making some kind of like abstract puzzle game in the future, um, like that won't uh, be affected by uh, off the whims of the current cohort. That's incredible. That's so lovely. Uh, what would you say are your goals for Open Alpha in the next couple of years? You know, any changes, growths? What do you what do you want incorporated, and how do you think USC can help you do so? Um, well, we've already been so I think so overwhelmed by the support of the USC community, and in the coming years, we're hoping to I mean make more games, right? One a semester, um, and kind of uh, grow I don't I don't know man we're we're a little bit leaving it up to our um, leadership team that's taking over after us to kind of take the club in whatever direction they wish um, and yeah kind of training up a new leadership team so they can build on our foundation but also let it adapt to whatever their vision is um, I we're right now we're laying down kind of the groundwork for industry outreach um, to see if we can connect with local studios around LA or in SoCal um, to allow students to actually tour these companies and see what it would be like to um, work in the industry full time. What does like the daily life of an engineer on a game look like? What does the daily life of a designer on a game look like um, at these different companies and see what like the work environment is and um, what the studio looks like um, and have like informational interviews like that. Um, and I think our first step towards that is the lightning uh, game design challenge, the Zip Zaps Up game design challenge, which is coming up this coming Saturday, um, a week from today, at the time of this recording. It's a, um, a lightning fast game design competition um, where anyone from USC can come. It's not only to open office students, um, but we're competing in teams of three to, do, to design games in like an hour and a half. And then um, going before judges, and we're bringing some from industry. So I think that's our sort of foot in the door um, to get, have them look at our org and see that like we're a bunch of passionate game students, and they should let us tour their companies. Um, <laughs> but that's I think um, our vision for the future is to continue right building this family, building this community. Um, Thanks so much, guys. That sounds incredible. Um, I think Santa Monica's huge hub, as well as the larger LA area. I'm sure you guys have tons of industry outreach to do. Um, thanks so much for coming on, guys. Where can people learn more about Open Alpha and what you guys are all up to? Yeah, you can check out our website, openalphausc.com. You can also check out, we have an Instagram, uh, openalphausc. Um, and on our website, you can sign up for our mailing list. And we'll be emailing when applications are live and when we have special events like Zip Zap Zop. Um, Awesome. Yeah. All right, guys, don't worry. Charlie and Colin will stick around for a big picture. But first, it's time for a radio intermission. This is Radio Intermission, where we feature a new song from a USC music artist. This week, we have a lovely number from January Bellington, who goes by the stage name Girl Online. January is a junior at USC, majoring in creative writing. Their song is about them questioning their sexuality and their realization of not wanting to center their life around men. Here's No Man Is Ever Gonna Change You by January Bellington.
You can find more music from January on their Spotify Girl Online. And if you want to keep up with everything they're up to, check them out on Not A Girl Online on Instagram. On to our big picture, where we pick out one main topic in the world of entertainment and break it down and look for the bigger picture of what it all means with our guests. This week, we'll be looking at perhaps the most controversial game of the past decade, Cyberpunk 2077, and how this prophesized game cracked open the video game industry. If you've somehow not heard of it, it's this huge AAA blockbuster video game from CD Projekt Red, the developers behind the highly acclaimed The Witcher 3 Wild Hunt game. It was first announced and teased in May 2012, hyped for eight years before releasing last December to last-gen consoles and PC. It had four delays and was touted by fans to be one of the biggest games of all time. It was one of those games that actually broke what I would say the gaming bubble and attracted a wider general audience like a GTA or a Red Dead game, and it created a pop culture movement. Uh, However, despite the decade of development, the millions of dollars, the hype, the game launched in an absolutely broken state. Promised features were missing, it's practically unplayable on consoles, had numerous bugs and glitches, and was just a mess on launch. It was so bad that thousands requested and were given refunds, and the game was actually removed from the PlayStation Store, which is actually quite unheard of, especially with a blockbuster title. Now, here we are, four months later, and the game is still rough and missing from the PS Store. CD Projekt Red has tried to patch the game up, but some of those patches have caused more problems. The planned free DLC and next-gen upgrade have been pushed, multiplayer has been canceled, and the company has seen massive reconstruction in this period. The future of Cyberpunk is still unclear, but for good or bad, it's going to be remembered in pop culture. It's definitely going to be remembered, but is it going to be saved? Charlie, Colin, I want you guys to come on and just tell me what you guys feel about this game. How have you experienced it as developers and players? Sure, yeah. Thanks for having us uh, again. Nice to see you again. Um, I personally Where were you? you (laughs) I disappeared into the podcast ether. Um, Yeah, I have I have not played uh, Cyberpunk twenty seven seven. Although I wish to in the future, I think it'd be a very interesting experience. Um, Whether it's patched or not, I would love to experience it. Um, And I regret having not done so before this. Um, I think. I think Cyberpunk 2077, yeah, without a doubt, will go down in, like, solid Reddit meme pop culture. I don't know if anyone has seen the videos of the glitches, but they are hilarious. Um, the alpha, or it wasn't the alpha build, it was, like, the actual release, but the day one release, I mean, there were models. <laughs> Megan has uh, played through more begin than I have. Um, she's our um, design lead this semester. Um and she talked about the these cutscenes where that were like essential to the plot, where um, yeah, where models of the NPCs who are like speaking to you and, and narrating were stuck in the T-pose position, <laughs> just kind of leaning in towards your car mm-hmm. as like the car shook and whatnot, and they were supposed to be breaking it, but they were just <laughs> T-posing. <laughs> Which I mean, I I respect, right? Like bugs I think are are part of the the new game experience. Um, I think one of the coolest parts of playing new games of being on the, the cutting edge, whether it's Minecraft, whether it's Valorant um, or 
like any of these newly released titles is keeping up with the the day-to-day so like even though we missed out on the promised experience of like this incredible rpg open world rpg like i feel like that's been done before but what hasn't been done before is an incredibly buggy like this overhyped buggy release i think will go down in memory perhaps better than i don't want to say that it was i bet it was an amazing game or it will be an amazing game shortly when it's fully complete but I, I, it's cool that we get both experiences if it if it comes back to fruition. I mean, does it meet the hype though? I mean, it's been nine years and they promised something. I mean, the the whole open world sort of RPG is 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 already done. You know, it's something that already exists now at this point. What they promised, I I don't know. It just doesn't meet the expectations. Let alone the entire game having the previews just having been uh, PC uh, versions of it, and then being absolutely unplayable. And then like enemies aren't dying, and like absolutely, I'm not a player myself, but I like watch a lot of videos, and and like I, I forgot which YouTuber it was, but he's like killing the enemy, and the enemy comes like perfect health back. And I, how annoying is that? You know, for gamers, this thing, and it's kind of it's kind of messed up at this situation because you've been waiting for so long, and then it just doesn't meet the hype. Uh, it's more of like, are we are we even going to? Is it is it worth to even keep the hype up at this point? And when it does release, do you, I mean, I don't even think the the game's going to do that well, other than the fact that people are going to have fun looking at, at at its failure at this point. I mean, I actually think we should point out that this game has sold millions of copies. It has already made profit. It made profit before it was released. The thing with the game is, it's more about how it's going to tarnish the developer's legacy. And the amount of money it could have made, the opportunity cost of this game, what could have happened instead of what did happen, and what really went behind, what what went on behind the scenes. Um, I think bugs are a part of the gaming experience, but this is different. This is on a level where it's unplayable, where it's ethically uh, very gray how to sell something like this to a consumer at full price. So first, let's get into the corporate versus creative element. You guys are developers. You guys are creators. A lot of the hate has been directed at the developers of this game, CD Projekt Red, the developing side. Um, could you guys kind of explain the the like hard line between how the business and corporate side affected Cyberpunk and how the developers affected Cyberpunk? Where should the hate go? Well, yeah, there has been quite a bit of hate directed towards um, CD Projekt Red as like a whole, um, and I hate to see that happen because I think I don't I don't think anyone is deserving of hate. I guess. Um, and yeah, I, I don't know if you've seen the stories, but um, the uh, hacking of of CD Projekt Red's um, servers was it? Uh, I forget. I, I'm not a Charlie's the cybersecurity miner, um, but um, but yeah, people were holding the company's data ransom, and that's data that could uh, affect both the I guess the corporate side, as you were saying, and the developers. Um, and geez, that must have been just so traumatizing for. Uh, the developers. And yeah, I don't think that's right. Um, uh, you know, it's very important to, I think it's that's something that's a good point because whether it's game development or whether it's film or music, there are two segments of it, right? The creatives and then the business people, and neither of them can live without each other, which is very evident. However, the point right now is that a lot of businessmen are very good at what they're doing. They're not very good uh, at realizing the creative uh, aspect of it. And when that happens, um, it's sort of like, let's just make something that sells. You know, at this point, it's let's reach uh, the creative limit of something that actually just sells. And so they reach this sort of like peak 
of this genre, which they think is going to work. Uh, and, you know, take any game. I mean, uh, open world is now like a car RPG or like, you know, freaking Assassin's Creed isn't, isn't even Assassin's Creed anymore. That's also open RPG. It's, it's sort of like investors just want something that sells and they know that this sells. So they chase after chase after chase after it. And once it's promised, and I think specifically why they released a, a broken game was to just take advantage of the entire Christmas, uh, you know, sales that they were going to get, which is why they sold it in December. And at that point, it's like, oh, wait, are you really placing your consumers uh, above above everything else? Are you really placing that? Are you placing the investors, the people that have bidded their money uh, on, on the amazingness of this, your shareholders? It is that battle, but I think it's very important to keep your consumers uh, in the thing. And, and now I, I, I know that the, there aren't even that many life parts. Um, even, even the open RPG aspect of it is kind of messed up because like, I believe even if you're different characters now, your life parts end up on, on very similar stratos, just different dialogues and different, uh, you know, subtle differences. So it's like, what exactly did you promise? You know, you're a company, you're not just, uh, you know, some, not just a marketing team. So where is that supposed to go? There is a responsibility that's held both by corporate and uh, developers. And, and for developers to take all the blame is honestly sad. They're just doing whatever they have to do to fill their stomachs as well, right? They're not getting paid unless they get the stuff done. I mean, it's questionable. Yeah, I think what we um, I wanted to ask you guys is, uh, which is the biggest problem, I think, in terms of the developer's lifestyle is the crunch that happens in the video game industry, which basically means overtime working in the video game industry to an insane level, especially before a game comes out. And that happens a lot. That's a huge problem for the whole industry, especially for this company, though, and with, for, with this game. What do you guys like? How do you view that? How do, what, what are the healthy ways to avoid something like that? And how um, is it more nuanced than I guess from an outside perspective than we think? Crunch culture. Um, Col- neither Colin nor I have um, worked full time at like in the games industry at a AAA studio or anything like that. So we have not experienced this firsthand. Um, but as part of this department, as part of like a group of passionate students who all are looking to enter this industry, they're like we've done a lot of research and we've seen a lot of the stories um, about, yeah, this pervasive practice of extreme overtime work, um, cyclical layoffs by companies who kind of take advantage of a eternally fresh workforce since there's so many people who really want to make games um, that are taken advantage of by being brought on and then worked for. Um, 60, 80 hours a week for X months straight before a release deadline and then let go after the game's release. And it's this very scary cycle that um, as students, like prospective employees of these companies, we're always looking ahead to. Um, And this release, I think, is like a, a case in point example of what happens when such a team is pushed up against a deadline like that. Um, there's an amazing meme of the CEO of CD Project Red uh, as he and his appearance as like each of his games comes out, and you can see like the ridiculous number of years that it's taken out of his life force. <laughs> um, he, yeah, grinding so hard against these crazy deadlines in an industry as lucrative as the games industry, which has now overtaken film and music and like I think sports broadcasting all combined. Um, it's scary because it's such a creative um such a creative exercise such a creative practice 
how easily the creators, the artists can be taken advantage of because it's something they're passionate about. Um, and yeah, there are companies who exist, who take care of their employees, who focus on wellness and on work-life balance. Um, and I think it's really important to know that those are possible, that these there are studios and there are parts of the industry who are working towards a better, more sustainable future. Um, and yeah, we hope to be a part of that as Open Alpha. We hope to be a part of that as like growing developers um, to, yeah, stand up, unionize the game industry if that's what it takes um, to reduce this practice of, you know, working towards these deadlines, working towards this profit, which is sort of rests on this anonymous um, dispersion of responsibility across stockholders and stakeholders and owners of stock um, in larger corporations who effectively don't take blame and receive no repercussions for even like a fallout like this with CD Projekt Red, it's all going to fall on the developers, the layoffs are going to happen within the company. Um, and the, I mean, the investors have already made their profit off of the pre-sales. So we have to be cognizant of like that. That's where the nuance I think comes in is like, a lot of people are causing this and not even realizing it, investing in large tech funds and stuff like that. And they don't even realize that they're, they're enabling this culture of working towards profit. But that, I guess that's a, that's a critique of capitalism that I probably shouldn't get into. <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah, I totally agree with you, Charlie. And I think what see what um, rather cyberpunk 2077 and its release has showed us even more is that just like crunch doesn't work. Like not only, is it harmful to like the health of human beings, right? But also it just doesn't work. It doesn't make good games. And um, like there was a memo that went out uh, that I was reading about that um, they were pushing for, you know, six day work weeks uh, nearing the end of development. And it's easy to say you're against crunch, right? Like I'm against crunch, right? But to like structure your production in such a way that there is no crunch is very difficult. And um, is not nearly as lucrative, right? Like if uh, if you want the most return on investment, then you're gonna make the development cycle as uh, short as possible, right? Then you want to make the game come out, you know, as soon as possible so you can get that return on investment. Um, but crunch just doesn't work. It it just doesn't make um, good games and good products, right? Um, you can see that, you know, just with the release of Cyberpunk, like how buggy it is. Um, you can't like overwork humans for that amount of time, right? And expect them to produce uh, good work. There's definitely, there's been studies that have gone into this where if you overwork, like let's say a programmer, like to some extent, then they'll just end up producing bad code that is buggy and just doesn't sustain itself. Um, and at that point, you're causing more harm than you are getting uh, benefit out of their extra work. And so I think that's something that we need to realize as an industry. Uh, I say we as as the collective we, um, but yeah, I think I would also separate crunch into two categories for I guess uh, yeah I think I would also separate crunch into two categories. There's like uncompensated work, and then there's also forced overtime, and those two two issues can happen at the same time, um, and that's you know terrible. Um, but yeah, there's definitely things we need to address. Compensate you know work. Overtime needs to be compensated. I, I think that's a moral issue, um, but also, yeah, overworking like mandatory overtime, like um, even even compensated overtime, 
like sometimes doesn't work. If you overwork people for you know a certain amount of time, it just they just don't produce um, good things and are end up causing more harm to the product than good. Like I think people don't realize, like Charlie said, it's more nuanced. There's it's more systemic than just saying let's not do crunch. And I think the two big reasons are the marketing and the size of the games. And in terms of the size of the games, Shrika alluded to this earlier. Do you think these open world RPG, huge narrative games are just getting too big? Like they're simply getting too big to not have crunch and also for poor expectation management. Um, I mean, Anthem, I mean, the list goes on with the number of games that really just crash and burn at this level. Um, What do you guys think about that? I think that's I think that's a really good question. We have lots of big games nowadays, and that's kind of the expectation from these bigger studios is to make big games. Um, but actually, I think if I had to point fingers at some issue that would help alleviate crunch, it's I think the price tag of these big games because games have been sixty bucks for like so long, and the games have grown since then, right? We have games that are much much bigger, and I think at least in my opinion, you know the the cost of producing such a larger game is much more. And I think that should be reflected in the price tag. And I think that would help alleviate the crunch. You can't produce like a, a, a game that's five times another game size in the same amount of time to get the same return on investment. That just doesn't work. And that ends up uh, uh, with crunch. And that I think re- having the price tag reflect the increased effort and the increased time that's going into the making of these games is just, and I think will help solve the crunch and hopefully not pressure uh, the money makers and the producers to restrict to the schedule um, of a super huge game to want to another game that sh- that is smaller. But I think when you talk about like the the extents of a game, um, and also when you're talking about crunch, I you know at times it isn't really money uh, because a lot of corporations have the money. It's more of like creating a hype, right? And whether it's cyberpunk or any other game or any other product for that matter, it's creating the hype to an extent where we want to be better than the rest. uh, And we want to set goals that are better than any other company. Why? Because it's a marketing gimmick. It, It makes it viral. It makes it something that's unattainable, right? And it's it's not that they don't have the money to treat their workers well or they don't have the money to not set these goals. It is to do so because it is what runs. So I don't know. I mean, as much as it's a great idea, to, and I think it should, you're, you're definitely right about increasing the price. I don't know how that would affect the gaming community in terms of like whether they'd be okay with paying more. But I do think that, yeah, if you create the hype, then, you know, if you charge them more, people are going to be super interested in buying it. It is more of like... And this is the case for any industry where marketing takes over to such an extent that it has no humanity in it anymore. It's just everyone's just a number. The people that are making it are just a number. The consumers are just numbers. Everyone's numbers. And then you just have zero level of empathy into the whole marketing aspect of it, uh, where all you're trying to do is is just gain, uh, you know, credits for your, yeah, again, like, like Charlie said, just kind of gain credits for your stakeholders. And I think that kind of messes up the whole, uh, you know, extent of creativity. How many developers that have already spent their time? I mean, so many like, like you know, who make come out of many other open alphas at one point, you know, who who dream to have their creativity shown is just now they're just they're just people behind a desk, just coding, just working. 
where does that sort of like restrict your your empathy towards people and their dreams and then again as charlie said it's just a result of capitalism but what do you do let's let's try to cap up this discussion by talking about how do you guys um deal with these issues even if they're smaller on an open alpha level like issues of crunch expectations financial realities yeah Expectation management has become, we have quickly realized, has been one of the biggest challenges um, for our org, um, both within membership, right, what they expect to get out of being a part of Open Alpha, and um, to the people that we publicize our games to, um, of like, hey, exciting, we have this Open Alpha release. And we, um, full disclosure, our first semester, we would have been happy if we could get something on the Steam, like, market where you could move a, like a character with WASD and like that was it like we would have been so happy it was our first semester like didn't know we'd, and that's kind of the approach that we've taken um but have it has been really challenging I think um especially with the support that we've gotten yeah this image of our own org not super like product related or not totally about well, the game that we're creating and it doesn't necessarily come from our marketing about yeah. that and I think uh, Open Alpha, like being being a part of Open Alpha's leadership, starting the club, and like seeing how it's developed, has enlightened me to like how uh, hype around a game can come from the developers themselves, right? I think every semester, our members, I think, I I suppose, might subconsciously expect each game to be bigger and better than the last one, um, which I guess will naturally happen as our experience grows and as uh, as our old members pass down knowledge to our new members. But I also uh, I'm very aware of the fact that people always want more content in their games and they want to be proud of the work that they do. And I think that's right. I, I know I do. I feel that way as well. But it's definitely a challenge for us uh, in our leadership positions to keep the game scope to a reasonable level that we can deliver on it and not crunch in the end. Um, I think we've gotten better at that, uh, but I think we still have challenges to overcome. And like I know, um, like just like this last week, uh, we had to tell the team that we wanted to cut this section of our game. Um, and that was, yeah. And that was hard news to hear for some of the team because they were excited on working that on that part of the game. And that uh, can definitely be a hit to morale. And people want to people want to have that content in the game. Uh, they really want, like if um, if we could, they, they would want that content to be in the game. But we also want to keep our scope reasonable so that we don't have to crunch in the end. And we want to have, a complete and finished game, right? Yeah, especially as we're all full-time students. Right, people have things to do, <laughs> yeah. Well, you guys are remarkable, I think, and you guys are the future of this, this industry. So if, if that's your mindset, that's the way you're dealing with things, and I think that's good news to hear as we move into the future of gaming, which who knows what it holds. Another Cyberpunk 2.0, who knows? Uh, thanks, for coming. The, the, the <laughs> thanks for coming on, guys. The Zach's the Snyder Cut, the Snyder Cut, hashtag release the Snyder Cut, Cyberpunk 2077. That that's our hashtag. All right. Thanks for coming on, guys. Um, please, 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 please. Uh feel free to reach out to these guys, check out their website. Any final thoughts from you guys? Thank you for having us. Check us out, openalphausc.com. No, I just want to say thanks. Uh I know we could talk about this for hours and hours. This is so much fun. And that wraps it up for this week. Any final thoughts, Anmol? No, just good luck surviving week 12. <laughs> We're so close. We're almost close to the end. Yay, I can't wait. 
Thank you guys so much for tuning in. We're so glad you guys could join us. We hope that this episode brought you some joy and some good information. Tune in next week for another exciting episode. Bye. Bye. <laughs>